Hi there, Rachel here. If you're listening to this episode in May of 2024, I have some big news. After selling out during the holiday season, my Flex of Gold journal is available for pre-order right now and will be shipping to your home by the end of June. To celebrate, we're running an amazing pre-order sale for Mother's Day. Purchase the journal before May 13th and you'll get $10 off every journal. This is our best price of the year, even better than Black Friday, so it's the perfect time to stock up for gifts for family and friends. This three-year journal helps mothers to notice, savor, and write down the fleeting golden moments that they experience with their children each day. So go to 3in30podcast.com slash flexofgold to reserve your copy, and you'll also see our brand new cover colors, as well as our new cover option, which is a wipeable vegan leather. So again, go to 3in30podcast.com slash flexofgold to pre-order your journal, and from now until Mother's Day 2024, they'll be marked down by $10 each. I can't wait for you to experience the magic of this beautiful gratitude journal for mothers. Today on the podcast, we're bringing back one of my all-time favorite episodes with one of my all-time favorite guests. Tony Overbay is a licensed marriage and family therapist, a father of four young adults, and an expert in teaching us how to maintain positive relationships in our lives. He's smart, funny, slightly hyperactive, and he has a great snort laugh. So basically, he's so much fun to interview and to listen to. I know you're going to love this episode. Stay tuned to the very end because I'm going to play a hilarious outtake for you, which is something that I almost never do, but this was too good not to share. This episode builds on last week's episode with Brooke Romney, almost like a part two, Brooke talked about talking with our kids instead of at them, and Tony adds more takeaways to that discussion on how very important it is to maintain communication and connection with our kids during the sometimes tumultuous teen years, and that all starts and ends with trust. Do they trust us? And are we able to keep their trust by how we react to them when they have bad or unexpected news? Before we dive into the episode, I want to remind you that I'm coming to Arizona on Saturday, September 21st to teach my Declutter Your Motherhood workshop. And I'm teaming up this time with one of my mentors and friends, professional organizer and mother, Mika Perry. She'll be teaching you how to declutter your homes and your schedules, and I'll be teaching you how to declutter your limiting beliefs and your expectations of yourself as a mother. My friends, I mean this from the bottom of my heart. I would not encourage you to come, to leave your families, and to make a financial investment in this experience if I didn't believe that this workshop could truly change your life. And that is such a bold claim, but I've taught this content four times now, and I've seen the massive repercussions it's had for the women who have participated, who've come to the workshop feeling overwhelmed, discouraged, and a little lost in their motherhood experience, and leave the workshop with clarity, confidence, and tools to actually live with more joy and intention every day. I don't want you to miss this. It's going to be a remarkable day of learning and connection, and I would love to meet you. Go to 3in30podcast.com forward slash Arizona for all the details, and don't wait because this is the last week for the early bird pricing. So grab some friends and come declutter your motherhood with me. And now let's hear from Tony Overbay. This is episode 91, How to Earn and Keep Your Teenager's Trust. Welcome to 3 and 30, a podcast for moms who want to create more meaning in motherhood. 
Each 30-minute episode will feature three doable takeaways for you to try at home with your family this week. I'm your host, Rachel Nielsen. Thank you so much for being here. Tony, welcome back to 3 and 30 Podcast. Hey, Rachel, it is so good to be back. I mean, it feels like it was only yesterday that I was on the show. I know, and we have had so much great feedback on your first episode, which if listeners missed that, it was about how to praise your children when it feels like there's nothing to praise, um, which is such a cool topic. And I'm so excited for you to record the second one today, Yeah, how to get your teenagers to talk to you. And it starts when they're little. I wanted to add that second part because it's not like you can just, when, once they're teenagers, they'll talk to you, you know? So all of these principles, we will be talking about teenagers, but all of these principles really apply and need to start with, as young as possible, you know, wouldn't you, would you yeah, say absolutely. that? Yeah. So tell us a little bit about, you have your own teenagers, your kids are 14, 16, 18, and 20. Exactly. But then you also end up with a lot of teenagers in your office, I'd imagine. So tell us a little bit about that. Yeah. So it's, it's interesting. Um, and I don't think I shared this last time, but, uh, you know, I did 10 years in a different career. I was in the software industry and, uh, wasn't really kind of feeling it. And I always felt, I really did feel kind of a calling to work with men in in therapy and, and go back to school, become a therapist. And so, uh, I did. And it was funny in grad school, I would usually people would say, Hey, why are you, why are you here? What's your passion? And I would, I would say this, I want to work with men. And then the instructor would typically laugh and I wouldn't know what that laugh was about. And then it was this concept where then I find out guys don't typically come into therapy <laughs> and unless they're, you know, it's working in the realm of maybe an addiction or couples therapy. And so, you know, I wasn't getting a lot of those male clients that I felt called to work with. But I started noticing an opportunity to work with teenagers. And in particular, at first, it was a lot of teenage boys. Mm. And, uh, and, and I just started to really embrace that and look at, okay, maybe here's part of that call is to help um, teenage boys and teenagers in general have a voice. And then the more I start digging in there, and this is going to sound super judgmental to parents, but I started finding that it wasn't so much that I could, you know, quote, fix the kid, but it was more about what that interaction, the communication, you know, was with parents. Mm -hmm. And I found myself really wanting to do a lot of parent training and parent coaching and uh, and doing a lot more kind of empathy work with my teenage clients. With, and the, so, with their parents, the parents. Yeah, of their teenage yeah, yeah, exactly. And so and I think I kind of mentioned this on the last podcast when we were talking about the nurtured heart approach, because this is again, this is kind of one of these key concepts, I think, is that I started noticing that the, the teenagers that were coming into my office weren't ones who had said to their parents, hey, I, I think I really need to talk to somebody. And I will say there were one or two, but I mean, really that few out of, you know, at this point, hundreds of teenage clients that I had worked with. And typically it was parents saying, hey, fix my kid. Uh, we don't know what else to do with them. Fix them. So I would get a kid that would come in and they would just not be happy to be in my office. And and I was, you know, I would typically say, uh, hey, just want to let you know, I don't really have a magic wand or magic beans or anything that are going to all of a sudden um, help you know exactly what to do. Uh, so I just want to kind of spend some time and, and we've got 50 minutes here. Um, let's just let's just talk. And and then I start noticing that, OK, if they didn't feel like I was trying to fix them, that was a good thing. Mm. But then I started latching on to this concept of, hey, you know, to to the teenager, 
Um, have your parents ever said to you, hey, buddy, you can come talk to me about anything? And then it's like, okay, every, I mean, again, I'm not a black and white thinking all or nothing guy typically, but I want to say every teenager ever in the world would then kind of raise their head up and say, oh, yeah, I've heard that one. And then it would be, okay, what happens when you, what's happened when you uh, wreck the car or, you know, get a bad grade or, I don't know, break curfew or that sort of thing. And then it's, oh, my parents flip out. And so then it's kind of this, again, it was like this light bulb um, that just came on in me that was saying, okay, teenager now has to control the flow of information because they've been told they can come to their parent with anything. But then when they do come to their parent with something parent doesn't want to hear, then parent flips out and then teenager now withdraws, um, isolates, and then parent now, now, and it's I basically, and now we're off, you know, with the kind of dysfunctional relationship, mm. parent feeling like they can't communicate with the kid and kid feeling like they can't communicate with their parent, even though parents saying, I'm here for you. Why don't you come to me? And then teenagers saying, oh, I'm not falling for that one again. Right. So that was kind of the the pattern I started to see. And so that's where then that kind of led to. Oh, there were so many things going on, Rachel, that was kind of cool. So at that point, you know, I'm really starting to connect with this teenage population and I had that epiphany. And then I'm doing a lot of work with addiction, in particular um, men and compulsive uh, sexual behavior, pornography addiction. And I started to get – and I'm sorry if this isn't where we wanted to go with this, but I started to get really dialed into – I could do the addiction work all day. But I started noticing that a lot of the the addiction work was more of a – you know, it was a symptom of a problem of, you know, not feeling connected to spouse, not feeling like a good parent, not feeling like a, they were in the job they wanted to do, you know, all this kind of thing. Wow. So then I started, so then I started though. So that took me into, oh man, I need to kind of start working with in, in the, in a couple's realm. And so then normally couples therapy, most therapists aren't big fans of couples therapy because you get just a real cursory view of that in school and you really learn this kind of fundamental concept of um, reflective listening, which is, you know, you sit back and when the, the husband says, here's my experience and the wife, you know, you say to her, what did you hear? And she's like, well, I hear him saying this. And then, you know, therapist goes, okay, well done. You know, and then it's, <laughs> and wife, you say your thing. And and now I get the husband to reflectively listen. Well, I hear she's saying this. And I go, way to go. And now you sit back and go, all right, uh, now you guys fix it. You both hurt each other. And that is so brutal because mm. you start being playing this role of a referee. Mm. I promise I'm going to like come back to the point. Here. No, I think it's, so, I think this all ties in. OK, good. So then so then I start doing a deep dive into marriage, you know, kind of marriage counseling. And what I was looking for a an evidence based, you know, modality that I could work from, that I could train in, that I felt like I could implement that would that would be more than just, so what do you think? What do you think? What do you hear? What do you hear? Now compromise. And I just was drawn to this uh, technique called um, EFT, which stands for Emotionally Focused Therapy. And it's uh, by a Canadian psychologist named Sue Johnson. And it's, and it's really, it's a big thing now. I think she started it maybe 15, 20 years ago. And it's really based on um, attachment uh, like attachment disorder or attachment wounds uh, that we have. So we kind of start out in life and we want to form these solid connections, these secure attachments with people. 
And then we kind of, you know, and it, at first that's our moms or our dads and they're there and they feed us and they uh, wipe our bottoms and they, you know, clean up our messes and that sort of thing. So we feel like this secure attachment. We're basically, they're there for us. They love us. They care for us. Mm-hmm. So then we get into adolescence and now, now here we go. Now we're in the jungles and we, you know, we're not really sure if we try to form a close attachment with somebody and then they maybe bully us or we, we try to reach out to somebody else and they don't have the same interests as us. Now we start to be a little bit more reserved with how vulnerable am I going to be? Then we move out into the teenage years and now, I mean, it's just a, you know, I don't know. It's a war zone there where, uh, you know, heaven forbid we get really vulnerable with the wrong person. And now they're especially in today. And now there's going to be some social media mm-hmm. posting about something or somebody taking a picture of something or, you know, so then we really start to kind of isolate. So then it, because it's hard to feel safe or connected or secure, you know, mm-hmm. secure attachments to people. And so so then we get into relationships and now all of a sudden Let's just say we're married and now at this point, um, you know, we don't want to be too vulnerable or open because now there's this fear that, well, this person will leave too because they didn't sign up for, you know, I I think about when I'm working with guys, if a guy, most man brain says, if I'm going to get emotional, then my wife's going to say, oh, I didn't want that guy. You know, I'm going to run away. I'm out of here. So then guy bottles up emotions, which is never helpful. And, And anyway, so I, you know, yeah, so this is like, so this EFT kind of addresses that. Okay. So it, what it really sounds like is you have a passion for for like getting to the root of these issues that, you know, end up with adults and counseling with serious problems with addiction and different things. Yeah. Really down at the root, it's about attachment and good communication that starts, can start in our homes. Like we can talk to our children in a way and teach them how to communicate in a way that will help them to have healthier relationships their whole lives. Is that true? Oh man, so much. I'm glad you kind of jumped in there because I was going, right? So would you say that that is, that the first takeaway is what you talked about initially about having that honest communication with our teenagers where we're not going to flip out when they tell us something and to actually mean that, that they can talk to us about anything and we will react calmly. Is yeah. that your first takeaway for how to get your teenagers to talk to you? Yeah, and I, I like the way you put that because it really it, – it can't just be a, hey, here's a suggestion. It is an active process. It takes work. And here's where I'll throw a 10-second plug in for – you know, I'm a big fan of, of doing – people call it thought work. I'm a big fan of mindfulness. I mean it's learning how to not react in that moment. Mm. And I feel like that's super important. I'm glad you put that there. So, so you um, do want – you may want to react absolutely. when your kid comes oh, gosh, and yeah. tells you that they're having sex – or that they're whatever it might be. Of course you want to react. Of course. You're human. But what do you do? Yeah. So you're human. And I mean that's the thing I love about this. You, you're going to have those emotions because that's kind of how you – that's your experiences in life. And you want to be a good parent and you've already been through things and all those things that then we start to lecture our kids about. But if we jump right in there with that – then they're just shutting down because then it's like they just said something and then we just went ahead and shut them down because I already know. I've been there, buddy. I know what's going on. I And it's like, no, listen, you know, listen to them. Pause. Turn off that fixing and judgment brain. And, and yeah, just kind of learn how to, to not, you know, to how, learn how to not overreact. Yes. Yeah. It's like practicing having a poker face. Yeah. When yeah. they, you know, when my oldest was two, he was playing with a friend and and I was chatting with the mom, and after about 20 minutes, we realized we hadn't heard the kids for a while, uh-huh. two, two, maybe three, and we went upstairs, and the door was locked, bad sign, mm-hmm. and we knocked and said, what are you guys doing in there? And they said, we're playing doctor. Oh. 
And I was so glad that that door was there. Like, yeah. so we had this door and, it, and we looked at each other and she was like, what? And I'm like, whatever we see, like, stay calm. Like we had yeah. this chance to, I'm like, they're little children, like stay calm, act like it's not a huge deal. And we'll talk to them, you know? And so then we had them open the door and sure enough, we needed to have some conversations about some things. But I was so grateful that my friend and I had a chance, that, that door, that chance yeah. to, to decide what we were going to do. And so it's almost like in any scenario, imagine like you have that, that door, that closed door moment where you're like, go blank for a second yep. and remain calm and then open the door and talk to your kid. You know, I, I like that. And, I, and maybe I've never actually said this one. I just thought of this one in, uh, on the fly here. But um, I know when I, I get a chance to speak a lot and I love that and I'll always open the floor for questions at the end. And I love that part. And sometimes somebody will ask a question and I do need a moment to pause. But, you know, I think mm. there's that still part of me that wants to look like I'm in control of the situation. And there's this, you know, there's this technique of, hey, I, that's a great question. And I'm really glad you asked that one. I mean, sometimes that's enough of a pause to kind of gather your thoughts. I almost mm. feel like in a parenting moment, because I think I do this with my own kids, even though I'm, I've been doing this for a long time and I feel like I'm well practiced at it. But a lot of times, because I was thinking about this last night, driving home from a game for, with one of my daughters, we were in a pretty, pretty long drive and she, she's kind of sharing some things, which I love. And, uh, and I, it, one of the things I was like, Hey, you know what? I just want to say, I'm really glad that you feel like you can, you can say this to me while on the inside, I'm like, Oh boy. All right. Uh, got a rally, <laughs> you know, <laughs> get ready. No fixing and judgment. But you kind of had like that <laughs> planned response. Yeah, but, like, yeah. So I was like, man, I'm so glad you feel like you can talk to me about this. Yeah. So right. I know I like what that's, you, that's the door. I like that. The, the door. Yeah. Approach. Yeah. So I have a little scenario for you okay. and, um, if you don't feel comfortable, if this is like too therapisty and you don't want to get specific with the scenario, I can always cut this. Rachel, out. this is but... what this is what I do. You got me all excited now. <laughs> so when I was a young teenager, I vividly remember this because yes. it was so unusual. My older sister, who was going through a bit of a rebellious phase, but she wasn't so much rebellious as her friends were. Yeah. And she brought home her friend who was drunk uh -huh. to our house. Yeah. And, um, that was like, whoa, cause I'd never like seen anything like that. And my parents are very, like, we come from a religious background where we don't drink, <clears throat> excuse me. And, um, she said to my parents, you said I could always come here. Like you said that you could trust, I could trust you. And she wasn't willing to go home. Yeah. Like she wasn't willing to go home. She wasn't willing to call her parents. And it wasn't safe for me to leave her there. Yeah. Like I needed to bring her home. And I, and at the time, of course, my parents were like, of course, like, let's put her in a bed. Let's, you know, but I'm thinking, I, I don't know what my parents ended up doing. Uh -huh. um, but what as a parent should you do there? Yeah. Like, because my, my sister was trusting them, but they also, there's like a parental pact Absolutely. almost like, yeah. of like, what should they do so that they can get that girl the help that she needs. So her parents can be in the know when they need to be, but still honor and trust my sister bringing her home in that situation. No, that's a great, okay. Now I feel like I'm pausing. 
Rachel, that's a great question, and I'm glad you asked that. And I'm and I feel see what I'm doing there. I'm putting some space there before I answer you. Um, but I, but actually, that is a great question uh, because the so if and this actually is perfect. Uh, are you okay if we dig a little deeper in the world of EFT? I mean, you actually just set yes. this up perfectly. So, yes. So let's go. So that was our first takeaway to invite oh, the uncomfortable, yes. honest communication. Yeah. And then the second takeaway is more of this emotionally focused therapy right. that you mentioned before. Exactly. And, so and tell us about. What is EFT and how would it apply in this situation? Okay, so so I kind of gave that. I know I went a little deep there, and that kind of got us to this, you know, the attachment theory part and all that stuff. So now we're in this world of, um, so EFT. Then that's your your sister put out what we call in the EFT world an emotional bid. So an emotional bid is in the world of of communication in general is anything. I mean, I kind of feel like it's anything. Any conversation, anything that someone puts out there on the table, some, you know, some some truth of theirs or some here's what I'm thinking or this question that they ask. And uh, even as I'm doing it now, I've got my hands in this little cupping formation and I'm and I'm moving them forth from my chest because I, I say we got to start looking at when somebody says, hey, here's what's going on or here's my thought. We look at that as they're kind of showing us their heart. You know, they're mm. being vulnerable. So now it's really important what we do with that. So if we respond with a you know, I can't believe you just said that or seriously, you're going to bring her into our home or, you know, whatever, then man. What were you doing at that oh, party in the first yeah, place? Absolutely. What we just did is exactly what, you know, you can come tell me anything, champ. And then it's like, but just not the stuff that I don't want to hear. So we, we got to look at that like this is an emotional bid. This is the person saying at the core of EFT. I mean, and, I'm, and if you're OK, I'm going to keep kind of throwing your that your sister's scenario there. That, yeah, that's you know, fine. That at the core of that is saying are you there for me? Can I count on you? Do you have my back? Do you love me? You know, those are kind of when we're putting out those emotional bids, whether it's like in a couple's relationship or we look at that, like when our teenager says something and we say, all right, I have to look at this as an emotional bid. And, and I, I fast forward. I mean, I, when I'm doing this work with couples or teens or whoever, sometimes people will say, I mean, really, do I have to look at everything as an emotional bid? And I say, yes. I mean, absolutely. Cause it's important. We want to know why something, you know, someone is kind of saying something or putting that out there. So, so when somebody puts out their emotional bid, then we immediately, and now with, with the way most conversations go is we don't even realize when we do the fixing and judgment, but fixing and judgment statements come in a lot of different ways. They can be uh, passive aggressive. They can be size. They can be eye rolls. You know, all of those things are judgment statements kind of saying, I can't believe you you think that, you know? So and those shut down communication. They just they do. They 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 kind of uh, attack that vulnerability of the person that just put out the emotional bid. So you know here's where and I love that scenario that you gave because yeah we've said you can bring anybody home you know whatever you know first of all it's going to be like okay yeah tell me everything that's going on we have to go as a parent now all in on empathy and I'll, super quick whenever I give this talk I like to say remember. You know, sympathy is just saying, man, that stinks. Um, empathy is, and I always like to give that scenario of where, you know, you walk upon somebody and they're down in a hole, you know, they've fallen in, fallen in a hole in the ground. And sympathy is looking down at them and going, oh, man, that is bad. Like, I feel so bad that you're down in that hole. And then you move on. Um, empathy is jumping down in that hole and saying, wow, you know, check this out. Um, I, I, I'm I'm here with you. Like, I feel this. And, and what mm. can I do to help? So, we have to learn how to just go all in with empathy with our kids. And so then it's like, you know, your parents are doing a good job with, hey, yeah, tell me what's going on here. And they're like, well, we were at this party and this happened and she got this. And if she goes home, her parents will, you know, kill her. And, this, you know, so already we're, we're 
and again, if I go back to the world of evidence-based, you know, functional brain scans, when people have this kind of this uh, empathetic response, then they, you know, there is a part of the brain that lights up and says, oh, safety. Um, man, we, you know, because now they don't, they're not necessarily in like fight or flight mode. They're not flooded with adrenaline. The executive parts of their brain are, you know, engaged. So because they feel like, okay, my parents listening at least and and then parent doing good empathy work. Here's all of that. Now, number one, they are going to have a greater understanding. And I have a lot of parents who, you know, if I'm saying, hey, do you know what your teenager's saying? And they're like, yeah, no, I know what he means. And it's like, no, you don't. I mean, because you, you kind of cut this person off before you really find out what their what their, you know, their version of reality is. It's really listening. I mean, it's listening it, it for is. a long time and listening hard and not and not interrupting and not, you know, it's hearing them out. Yep. And so and I'll give I'll give a more tangible, simple example. And then we'll kind of jump back into the one that you gave with the, with your sister, which I, I really I do love. I one of the simplest ones I've ever given is um, is, you know, a, a girl who didn't want to take um, honors English or you know some sort of English. And I'm processing it literally in my in my office. And then the mom immediately is you know, hey, you're, you know, you're really good at English. You've done really well. You don't, you don't need to stress about it. You know, when I was a kid, I, I worried about it too. And then I did it and I did, you know, so emotional bid was her saying, I don't know if I can do it. And then parent jumped right into fixing mode. So, and I want to point that out because sometimes often there's the case where fixing mode is not coming from a bad place. It's not a, mm. you know, it's coming from a, no, no, you can do it. You know, you've got this. And then, and then this girl, you know, gets teary eyed and, and I'm, you know, Basically, long story short, she identifies that she has a bit of a learning disorder, um, you know, some dyslexia, that sort of thing, and had never said that because her mom was such a, a you know, a, a book person, an English person. Mm. And so she never had said that. And then it was like mom was, was oh, my gosh, why, why didn't you ever say, you know, and, and it was because I never really get to because, you know, I know you, you know, you kind of jump into this mode of, no, you can do this. And so I think mm. that's the part – now, here's the cool part. Jump back into your – when your question was like, what, do, what does a parent do? So a lot of times when we get to this part of EFT, the person who is receiving the emotional bid, so the parent thinks, wait, so I just got to roll over? I mean there's nothing I can do here. But once you have that awareness, it's going to look different and then it becomes about the semantics of language. So then it becomes about you're not now going to attack but now you get to share – You know, it sounds so therapisty, right? But you, now you share your truth. So it's – in your scenario with your parents, I can imagine them saying, man, I'm so grateful that you did feel like you can come and talk to me. And I'm, and yeah, I'm glad she's here in this safe place. Here's what I worry about. You know, I worry that as a parent, I would, I would, you know, I would be up all night if I didn't know where my daughter was, or I worry that, you know, or, or, or you know, and there's all these phrases you get to use in EFT where it's, or here's my train of thought. You know, I worry that she will wake up in the middle of the night and not know where she is and endanger our whatever. And so you're not saying, you know, I can't believe you brought her here. This, this isn't safe. This isn't a good idea. I'm going to call her mom. But then when you're when you're really good at this empathy and these in this EFT skills now, you know, in theory, your sister hears your mom's concerns and are your dad's mom, you know, your parents concerns. And now she has more understanding. And so now we're now maybe and again, it's not that we always have to have this perfect compromise. But maybe with that said now, you know, your your sister might understand a bit more and she's like, okay, no, I hear you. So, you know, maybe, maybe you, it's okay if you guys reach out or let's mm. just kind of give it a couple of hours and let's see what's going on or, you know, and now it's a productive conversation. So, right. Yeah. 
And I was even thinking of that specific scenario. I mean, we knew that girl well and loved that girl. Yeah. And so I think it would be appropriate for my mom. And probably this is what my mom said. I wasn't in the conversation, but, you know, we love her. Like, I love her and I want what's best for her. And, you know, we need her parents need to know. And this is why, you know. So, again, it's that empathy of you're not in trouble. She's not in trouble. Um, I just I love both of you and I want to do what's safe like my job as your parent is to keep you safe and i want to help keep her safe yeah you know like you said after you diffused it yep so like you you listened first and then you can talk i had a can i i I, i've got a uh one that i've been thinking about a lot lately um that i have a daughter that is uh she's played a lot of different sports and track and that sort of thing and and she came to me not long ago and said that she wanted to try gymnastics and and so i I think my normal reaction, my dad brain, my man brain, whatever it would have been, would have been and at this point she was in eighth grade. And I would have said – I wanted to say, hey, you know, people that are – I mean kind of starting now, kind of what's your, you know, what's your goal and what's your commitment like? And I worry that you – you know, I don't think it's a good idea. I think I wanted to say all those things. I mean those are nor- – you know, because I don't – you know, uh, it's, it's going to cost a lot of money and I don't feel like you'll be committed and, you know, starting this late at life anyway, I don't know if it's going to be very beneficial I mean, those are the things that my automatic responses wanted to say. So, but I, you know, I practice this EFT. I got to practice what I preach. So I said, hey, tell me more where that's coming from. And then she had this whole list of reasons why and worries about regret and, and, you know, has just felt like she could never even bring it up and wishes she would have continued as a kid. And when I heard all Mm -hmm. that, I mean, then it was like, okay, my level of awareness and empathy for what she was going through meant so much, you know, I was, I was, that made more sense than just my, oh, I, I don't know if you'll like it. I don't know if it's a good idea, you know? Or worse, I don't know if you'll be good at it. Exactly. you didn't start early exactly. enough. Exactly. I mean, so, yes. Yeah, thank and you. you have to identify as a parent, like sometimes our motivations are a little off there, you know? Like, yeah. And if you would have said that first to her, oh. why would you start now? Yep. Like you're not even, you can't catch up. And imagine how much that would have crushed her down knowing now what you know about Absolutely. how this had been this thing in her heart for a yeah. long time. So, so the, the, the reason this has been on my mind so much is, you know, fast forward two years, sophomore in high school, and there's a literally a new, a new uh, sport in high school called stunt. Uh, have you heard of this? Mm-mm. So no. stunt is a combination of cheerleading and gymnastics. She was never a cheerleader and she was never in gymnastics. But in the last two years, she's gotten really, really good at tumbling and like really cool stuff that I wish I knew the words of like what it's called. <laughs> but lots of flips and <laughs> twists and turns that are really neat. And uh, and so this the stunt, this stunt sport, I mean, somebody will have to go Google it, but it's like they have quarters and they play teams and it's 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 a great just a you know, it's a woman's sport right now. And there's even stunt uh, in college and scholarships and this sort of thing. And so she makes the stunt team because she's one of the only people that can do all of this tumbling. And, you know, now they just had an incredible season and they did really well. And and even to the point where and maybe, you know, she wouldn't want me saying this on on a podcast, but but it's like there's opportunities now for scholarship and to stunt in college. And so imagine if my reaction would have been, yeah, I don't think it's a good idea or, hey, you're a little too old. I mean, it it almost Mm. freaks me out to kind of go back and think. Ah, what if I would have said that and shut her down, mm, you know? Yes. Yeah, that's really powerful. I love that those specific examples that are powerful for moms hearing this. I'm sure everyone hearing this is thinking of their own kids and situations that apply regardless of their age. Yeah. Where 
um, you can apply these principles. So we are about out of time, yes. but we gave we gave them four takeaways in our last podcast. So I think we can just give them two in this podcast. <laughs> the two that we just did. Well, I, um, I, yeah, and I could do. I mean, I could do uh, thirty seconds. I give you two and a half. Um, okay, do it. So the, the last thing that I was that I would have was just basically you know feeding the positive. And I think that if you do go back and listen to the last podcast we did together, this nurtured heart approach, and you know I think that one of the things we didn't talk a lot about there, but I think is really important with teenagers is you know when you had a good positive interaction, I think it's important to go back every you know you can go back in three days or five days or a week and just say hey you know what I really appreciate the way you opened up to me a week or two ago, and I've been thinking about that a lot, and that really means a lot to me. Um, because you know, we got to, I want to keep that positive energy flowing. And I think a lot of times, um, we'll think those things about, man, that was really nice that we had this conversation and we're, we're again, we're continuing to fuel that positive or feed that positive. So I think that's something to kind of, uh, keep in mind as well, that it's okay to go back and say, Hey, I really appreciate our conversation last week. Uh, you know, I've been thinking a lot about it. Mm hmm. That's great. And it also acknowledges to them, like, I'm still thinking about you. Oh yeah. Yeah. Which like is that. something that I've. I talked about in other podcast episodes is the importance of following up like with our kids and our friends. Like when we know when they come to us with something they're concerned about or even something that they're excited about to not just move on and forget about it, but to follow up and say, Hey, I'm still thinking about that. Thank you for sharing. Or how are you doing? Is that, are you okay? Whatever. Um, following up on that conversation. Beautiful. So I think that's, that's really important. Yeah. I love that. Okay, so what recap for us? What are three ways that we can get our teenagers to talk to us, starting when they're little kids, even? So remember the uh, inviting, uncomfortable, honest communication, and that is in that context of you can come and tell me anything. If you're going to say that, then then as parents, we need to work on the skills to be able to truly allow our kids to come and tell us anything. Okay. Yeah. Um, the second one is then it's it's this whole emotionally focused therapy or EFT concept of really going all in on empathy. Um, and empathy is wanting to just I want to hear everything about why my teen is is presenting me with this emotional bid, why they are are sharing this information with me, and I'm going to turn off my fixing and judgment brain because I I want to hear this. And yeah. I loved the script you're. You said there, I wrote it down while you were talking. Tell me where this, oh, good. tell me where this is coming from. I think that yeah. is a great line to use when, if your kid's upset, if they want to try something new, whatever it is to just say, tell me what you're thinking or tell me where this is coming from. And then listening yeah. with empathy. Yeah. Perfect. And then number three, yeah. Feed the positive, not the negative. And then I like what you said is a uh, follow up. I really like that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Tony, thanks for coming on a second time and. Tell us um, what resources you offer, and I feel like particularly your resource for pornography, which in this episode about teenagers, I think is maybe even more pertinent because this is a problem that more and more teenagers are facing in our yeah. generation. Oh, that man! So okay, yeah, TonyOverbay.com, um, and they're linked to my podcast. You can sign up for programs uh, on couples and parenting and that sort of thing. But I, yeah, I have a program called. The Path Back, which is an online pornography addiction recovery program, and uh, I, boy, you just you just said something just very very uh, profound, and I and I love there where, um, again, we could do a whole episode on that, Rachel. Where, uh, you know, that you can talk to me about anything is what you know, we need to have the ability to talk with our kids about things like pornography and not have them feel like the guilt and shame that comes with that. So they can come to us um, so that we can be a resource for them and, and provide them with help. And that's one area where I feel like a lot of times 
the parent's reaction or the anticipation of what that reaction will be does keep a teenager from um, asking for help. Getting help. Yeah. And yeah. Then that, that leads to isolation, which leads to, you know, then if there's relapse and acting out again, which then leads to toxic shame where it's like, I'm, I'm such a bad person. I'll never get over this when there are tools and resources and things out there to help. But if, if a teenager doesn't feel like they can be open about even a topic like that, then, uh, you know, man, that's a, a place we need to really work on. Yeah. So you have a program for that that they can yeah. find on t- TonyOverbay.com. Yes. Or they yeah. can get in touch. They can get in touch with you there if they have further questions. So, yeah. okay. Thanks for being, um, now I'd say a regular contributor. I love second, it. I'm second episode. And maybe we'll have you back again. Anytime. I just love, love talking with you. And thanks for sharing all of your expertise with us. Thanks for all you do. Rachel, you're doing a great, I, I love your podcast. Did you enjoy that conversation as much as I did? Tony is a true delight to talk to. And if you missed his first episode on the show, you need to go back and find it. It's episode 26, and it's all about creating positive behavioral momentum in our homes by encouraging our kids, even when it's really hard for us to find anything to encourage them about. (laughs) It's a great one. So go find that. That's episode 26. And I'll put a link in the show notes. A little behind the scenes on podcast production. Even though I aired Tony's two episodes a few months apart, we actually recorded them in one session, back to back, which leads to the funny outtake that I promised you earlier. I'll insert it after the music ends, and you have to remember, even though the two episodes aired months apart, we recorded them minutes apart. I hope this gives you a good laugh, and I hope you have a great week with your family. Hi, Tony. Welcome back to 3 and 30 Podcast. Rachel, it is. I am very excited to be back. It feels like it was only yesterday that we talked. <laughs> I know. And we've had... Oh, man. Now I can't keep going. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I was trying to... I, I, I felt bad because I, I was waiting for that. I didn't know if that would get you or not. Do we want to start again? <laughs> yeah, I think I'm going to have to. I was about to say, and we've had so much great feedback about your episode. <laughs> I know, which is real. I mean, you, you will have it. But okay, I know. Right. You know what? I'm going to say that. <laughs> okay. All right. I like it. I, okay. You tell me when we're ready again. I'll stop. Well. It seems like just an hour ago that we were. I know. I wanted to say that too. <laughs> that's too. That's too specific. Yes. Okay. Here we go. <laughs> I'm going to get serious now. Okay. <laughs>